On today's Murder, She Wrote podcast, it's the season three finale! Jessica finds herself in a recording studio, recording an audiobook, and she has to help solve a murder. When a blind man is implicated in an episode I really did not like, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Murder She Wrote podcast, where I watch every single episode of the hit 80s slash 90s show Murder She Wrote, starring three-time Academy Award nominee and five-time, six-time Tony Award winner Miss Angela Lansbury. Today I'm going to be talking about season three, episode 22, Murder She Spoke, air date May 10th, 1987. As always, I spoil everything there is to spoil about the murder of the suspects. Everything in between. You can't do a Murder, She Wrote podcast without doing that. So if you've not recently seen this episode, you can watch it one of four ways. If you own the DVDs like I do, get out your Season 3 Season Disc Set Insert Disc 6 into your DVD player, wherever it is you watch your movies. And... This will be the last episode on that disc, with the exception of the Magnum P.I. episode as a bonus feature. Anyway, uh, if you don't have the DVDs like I do, it's totally fine. All 12 seasons are currently streaming on the Roku channel for free, as well as the four TV movies that received Murder, She Wrote when it ended in 1996. All Seasons 1 through 5 are streaming... On Freebie, formerly IMDb TV app. And all 12 seasons are also streaming on NBC's Peacock app. But if you really want to watch the show that way, you will have to shell out $4.99. And if you don't want to watch it with commercials, you can shell out $9.99. No, they're not paying me to tell you that. I just figured I would. Okay, guys, I really wanted to like this episode. I really did. I wanted to... I was hoping that there would be a really good season finale, but so far, since I'm now at the end of season three, so far the best season finale was season one. Um, Because this one was not good. And there are so many contributing factors as to why. But I have to analyze the episode first and recap it for you. To explain why I did not like it. I wanted to like it, but I just could not. So this episode is set in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, a reviewer said that otherwise, if I did not, if I, I had no idea because we're only in one place at the Red River Recording Studio. And another indication that we're in Nashville is there's a poster of George Strait on the wall in the office of the main boss of this recording studio. Okay? So, let's get started. Alright, we're going to dive right into this episode. Um, Although I do want to say this. Okay, before I start. Um, I'm going to probably post this episode... Like, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm probably going to post this episode tomorrow. Later today. Um, and then I'm going to do my season three review 
And then I'm not entirely sure if I'm going to take a hiatus and wait until after New Year's to start season four or just dive right in. After watching this episode, I kind of want to just dive right in. But we'll see. Um, because it is going to be the coldest it has ever been on Christmas. We're talking like negative two degrees on starting Thursday night here and continuing through the weekend during Christmas. It is crazy. So I hope everybody stays as warm as possible. And I just wanted to say that before I start with this episode. And I hope that you have the warmest and happiest of holidays, depending on whatever you celebrate. Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Merry Christmas, and Happy Holidays. Alright, so let's get started with this episode. So, we're in one location throughout the entirety of this episode. We only go once to a police station, and it's a simple building with no indication whatsoever where we are supposed to be set. So I'm just going to go with Nashville, Tennessee. Okay, so we start this episode at Red River Recording Studio. Jessica is in a recording booth recording her autobook. The, there's a woman in there with her, and there's also Carl. Um, who is... the recording man behind the thing. He's telling... He tells Jessica that she's too loud and to step back from her microphone, which... If sometimes I am too loud, I apologize for that. I don't go back and listen to myself. Um, because if I did that, you'd never hear the episode because I'm my own worst critic. So I just sort of record the episode and not listen to it and just go and post it before I lose my nerve. Thinking that I left something out or if I made a mistake or whatever. And once I'm satisfied at the end, then I just post it. So if sometimes I am loud, I'm sorry, because I get excited about stuff. But anyway, she backs up and she has to move the... She can't read her manuscript anymore. And just one note I would say here. From the sounds of this book, I would totally read it. I mean, it's like completely hilarious. Like, uh, like she's saying this one line. She says, there were two things that she knew. She knew the time because she had been making her husband's favorite steamed cabbage or something like that, and it took four hours to make. And another thing she was certain, the man was dead, and he was bleeding all over her clean kitchen floor. <laughs> I would totally read this book, I'm telling you, I would. Um... But anyway, Jessica can't read the manuscript, so there's a woman in the room. Her name is Nancy Dunton. And she moves the podium closer to Jessica so Jessica can read. And Jessica continues. Meanwhile, in the next room, we get introduced to Stoney Carmichael, played by country music singer Charlie Daniels. I can't think of any of his music off the top of my head. 
but I remember listening to him when I was a kid. He is singing some kind of song called I Don't Have a Woman to My Name. Uh, okay. I don't know if that's one of his actual songs, but I hope not, because I did not like it. In the recording booth, as he's recording, was Al Parker. Um, they finished their recording session, and we get introduced to the big boss, Randy Whitworth. Randy runs the studio, and... Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Okay, so the person in the recording booth is Earl, is in the recording booth with Jessica. Carl is another character we're going to get to. I'm so sorry. Sometimes I mix them up. Carl, Earl, you know, same name. Anyway, sort of, kind of. Anyway, um... Randy comes in and demands to know, demands from Al what's going on. Apparently somebody, is somebody has bootlegged Stoney's music, even has a cover on the tape, and it's out there being sold. Bootleg was a huge, huge thing um, back then, and it still is now. I don't know if it still is now, but it was back then. Anyway, I don't know how to really explain it. But anyway, um, so Al says he does not know anything about it. Stoney suddenly comes in and he's like, well, it says in my contract that if somebody's bootlegging me, I don't have to be here. And Randy says, don't worry, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Randy then goes into... Earl's booth and tells him like has an argument with him about the auto books and about the bootleg. Meanwhile we get introduced to our main character of this episode Greg Dunton because this is basically the description on IMDb. A temporary blackout at a recording studio leaves Jessica in the dark when the Worthy, soon-to-be owner, is stabbed to death. Okay. Greg is played by Will Arlington. Now, if you all recognize that name, it's because this guy is very famous. He appeared in the original Ghostbusters as the character that is part of the environment, mental list people, and he comes to their facility towards the end of the movie and shuts them down and releases the ghosts for the final confrontation. And he's in that famous scene, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. And he appeared in Murder in the Afternoon, where he played a murderer. In this episode, he plays a blind guy, and this is one of the reasons why I don't like this episode, because the performance, and I try not to criticize actors, but I have to this time. This performance was not good. Um, especially given the fact that he played a murderer in the previous episode, 
and literally several months after this, in September, he will play a murderer in The Law and Harry McGraw. Literally in the pilot episode of that show. How did they not think? Who thought this was a good idea? Honestly, who thought? Because he comes running into the room, into the recording studio, to see Jessica. And there's this moment where you notice he runs into the room and he looks down like he's looking for his mark. Because I don't know if you all know this, but like I learned this in drama class, where when they're filming television, um, there's a specific mark that you have to stand on. I also learned this when I did theater in high school. They will tape like a like a duct tape or or the black tape. I don't know what the black tape's called where they'll like put a X on the floor where you have to stand to deliver your line. And you have to make sure that you hit that mark, especially when you're filming a television show so that you're standing in that exact spot. And he looks down before he goes to that place where he's supposed to stand. And he's wearing the most ridiculous glasses. He's not wearing dark glasses like in most shows when they have blind people on. Um, he's wearing glasses that are like t like pinkish, tintish, yellowish. Um, that kind of reminded me of an episode of The Golden Girls where Blanche's daughter has just had her baby. Rebecca has had her baby and Blanche goes to audition for Macbeth. And... Uh, she takes the baby with her for some reason. I don't know why Sophia nor Dorothy nor Rose could have watched the baby while she went to the audition. But she takes the baby with her and he mistakes her for the baby's mother. And she gives him like these weird glasses that are that kind of look like kind of look like the ones that that Greg is wearing. And so there's no indication when he comes in that he's blind it isn't until he's talking to jessica and he's like i'm so happy you decided to come and do this you know i'm glad that great uh that randy is doing this series he kind of owes me more on that later and his wife is there too and i don't know if he goes to like hug jessica or hug his wife or go to his wife i'm not entirely sure and the way they acted throughout the entire of the episode, except for one scene, I did not realize they were husband and wife. And I'll get to that in a minute, too. Anyway, he goes to, to hug one of them. I'm not entirely sure exactly what he's trying to do in the scene. But he hits the podium. And then that's an indication to, to the audience, oh, he's blind. Because there's a shot where... On Jessica, where she looks over at the chair, and we see his stick that most blind people carry with them. And it was absolutely horrific, in my opinion, because it's like, and then they have like an explanation because maybe, maybe he was, maybe Will agreed to do the role, but he was like, I don't want to use the stick and I don't want to have to have the dark glasses. I don't want it to be as cliched as it could possibly be. So they have an explanation for it. They have him say, 
well, I've only been blind for about a couple of months now, and I can get around fairly well on my own. I just memorized the whole layout of this place because I'm, I work here, so I know where everything is. Of course, I didn't realize that was in the way. And Jessica says, oh, well, I'm sorry, that's my fault. I had to move back away from the microphone, and we had to move the podium, so that's my fault. He says, oh, that's okay. So then his wife chooses this moment to tell him that Randy has decided to cancel the auto books. And throughout the entirety of the episode, this also made me mad. They kept saying that there was no money in auto books. So I'm thinking, oh, well, this might be like the early days of when auto books were becoming a thing. So I looked it up because I was curious. I was like, when were auto books invented? 1932. They used to do them on records because they couldn't do every book in Braille. So they would have books on tape. They even have, or books on a, on a record. They even have the Bible on a record. That was one of the first ones they released so that the, the blind could hear the Bible being read to them. And I think that is amazing. And, and they're not just for the blind. I mean, I love listening to audiobooks, especially if the audiobook happens to be read by a celebrity, you know, like, um, like it's their story and they're, they're reading it to you. I think that is just absolutely fabulous to hear them reading it to you because it's their story. It's great. Anyway, so at this, like, at this point, she tells him that the audiobooks have been canceled because they, because Randy says there's not enough money in them, which I think there would be, but what do I know, I guess? And they, he, he's like, she's like, but don't worry, you don't have to trouble yourself with it. I will talk to him about it. And he says, no, I will. And she says, no, I will. And then he goes, no, I will. Like, he yells at her like she's a child. And then she says, I don't think that Rand that Randy is in the mood to talk right now. He seems to be having a conversation with Earl right now. So, uh, Greg says he's going to go to the water fountain to take his pill. He has a nerve problem in his leg and he takes a pill for it and he knows where the water fountain is. So he grabs his stick and walks out the room. Um, Randy leaves Earl alone and goes to his office where we meet his wife, Margaret Withworth which I did not know that she was his wife. And she's played by Constance Towers. Constance Towers has been in awesome soap operas throughout the entirety of her career, and she gets virtually nothing to do in this episode. And I did not like that. Um, she come, She's in his office. She wants him to come home early um, so they can be alone because he's always busy because apparently he's trying to take over the station he doesn't own it just yet, but he's trying to. Apparently, Carl... Or, uh, Carl does. I can't say his last name. 
Um, so she says, well, what's bothering you? And he says, this bootleg thing, I don't understand it. Someone is, is stealing Stoney's music and selling it. And I need to get to the bottom of it. Otherwise I'm going to lose him. And Carl's not going to be happy about this. Well, Margaret says she's going to go home and she's going to take a hot bath. And he says, well, I might just come early and join you. And then she says the weirdest thing. She goes, oh, good. I'm glad you didn't just that you don't just have me around for my mind or for another thing that starts with an M, meaning money. And isn't that supposed to be reversed? Don't in most movies, don't women say, I hope you didn't just want me for my body. Like she's mad because, or she's glad because he wants her for her body. I'm, I was confused by that line. You guys I'm like, I'm sorry, but I was just so confused. Anyway, they start making out and she drops her purse and drops her nail polish, which is an important factor later on. Meanwhile, she eventually leaves and Jessica is still recording the auto book. Um, she messes up a line and Earl tells her to, to sort of like, they can pick it up. And then suddenly the lights go out. This has apparently been occurring a lot lately. And just then Carl arrives, who is the actual owner of the station. And he opens the door and the lights are out for, I want to say about 15 minutes. When the lights come back on, Al is on the phone with Randy, who is crying for help. And then we hear a scream. Stoney's niece, Sally Ann, is screaming because she has discovered Randy's body. And we notice in Randy's office, there's a picture of George Strait. I cross my heart. And promise to give all I've got to give to make all your dreams come true. Yep, George Strait. Love him. I did not know that he actually was a country star in the 80s. I thought he was in the 90s. But I grew up in the 90s, so you learn something new every day. Yeah, poor George Strait. He witnessed the whole entire murder. Smiling on the wall. <laughs> So, it appears that Randy is alive, and the only thing he can say is pain hurts. And he can't tell anyone who stabbed him because he didn't see them. He was stabbed in the back from behind. And then we get introduced to possibly the worst detective in the history of Murder, She Wrote. I have not seen all 12 seasons, but I can say that I did not like him. This is Detective... Faraday, played by G.W. Bailey. Known for being in the Police Academy movies, he is immediately dismissive of Jessica. Saying dialogue that has not aged well. Like, for instance, this. Oh, I think writing is a real good hobby for a woman. You can cook up some supper, you can chat on the phone, and then pop over to the old typewriter now and then for a few minutes. 
Jessica, yes, when I'm not busy beating laundry against the rocks and the river. I mean, he, he says even worse things throughout the episode than that. And I'm seeing what's on there. I uh, guess she was right. You really did help us wrap this whole thing up. Well, thank you, Lieutenant. That's very nice of you. And you taught me something. As long as I live, I will never again underestimate the power of women's intuition. But he says... Horrible things throughout the entirety of the episode. That's just the tip of the iceberg there. But when he first comes on the scene, he basically um, dismisses Jessica like, like she's just a random suspect or, or like a random person who witnessed it. And he immediately, like immediately, right off the bat, suspects Greg. Because who better than to operate in the dark than a blind man? Um, I'm sorry, but I don't see that. I really don't see that. He said somebody ran past him and he heard something fall. It turns out that something turns out to be the murder weapon. Jessica discovers the nail polish and she explains to the detective that she's a writer and that's when that whole exchange of dialogue happens. And that's the only that's one of the only times that Angela Lansbury gets to clap back at him. Because as I said before, multiple times here on the Murder, She Wrote podcast, I believe women can do anything that a man can do. And this is, and I am a man myself. And I fully believe this. Not only can they do anything a man can do, they do it better. True that. Anyway. So... Jessica gives him the nail polish, tells him that it's still wet, so that means that whoever was in here and dropped it must have been with Randy before he was killed. And he says, leave it to a woman to find nail polish. Uh. So then, um, the Lieutenant Fairday tells Jessica she has to stay in town, and she says, well, I have a flight to catch. And he says, oh, I'm sorry to keep you from your canasta game. Oh, my God. Not only is he implying that she's that she can't write mysteries because she's a woman, she's all. he's also implying that she's old. Because he then says, don't worry about it, ma'am. Like they say in, the, in those bus commercials, sit back and let us do the driving. And she goes, meaning what? Solving murder is man's work. Uh clearly he doesn't know her reputation. So she decides to stay with Nancy and Greg, and in the next scene they are jogging around Greg's neighborhood. And again, there's the scene you have to it's very subtle, but I noticed it because I watched it twice. Where they're rounding the corner and he literally stops short and looks where he's going before he runs into Jessica. And 
she he they're jogging around the neighborhood and Jessica goes, how are you able to do this? And he goes, I memorized the whole layout of my neighborhood. I know exactly what's in front of me. I don't need a stick to get me around. And I'm not going to let it slow me down. And he goes, we're almost there. Coffee at 100 yards. They go in. Nancy is attempting to make breakfast. Uh, she's mixing some eggs together in a bowl. And he says, oh, let me help. I'll do it. She goes, no, I'm already doing it. And he just grabs the bowl from her. He's not supposed to know where the bowl is, but he grabs it, even though he's supposed to be blind and not know that she has a bowl in her hand. And that's only part of why I don't like this episode. So, as they're talking, um, Greg reveals that Randy caused him to become blind in a car accident several months ago and the reason why randy was doing the autobook series of mysteries for the blind was as a favor to him since he caused his blindness okay um but they don't um get to making breakfast because Lieutenant Faraday calls and says they found the murder weapon or the blood on the murder weapon matches Randy's blood. And he thinks it's very way too convenient that the murder weapon just so happened to be dropped right by Greg. And the murder weapon just so happens to be familiar. It's a steak knife that was taken from the Dunton's home. They apparently had a barbecue, and one of their knives is missing. Immediately, Nancy knows that the police will suspect her husband, so she tries, or no, Lieutenant Faraday shows up at their house, and she tries to put the knives in the dryer, and Jessica follows Nancy, and she's like, I'm sure they'll search everywhere, so whatever you're trying to hide, it's not going to work. So... With the information that Randy caused his blindness and the fact that the knife was in his home, he is arrested on the charge of murder. Jessica goes to Lieutenant Faraday's office and says that he's not listening to reason and he says he's not going to listen to the rantings and she says, please don't say in an, in an irrational woman. So instead he says, a busy, a busybody woman. Oh, boy. She then goes in the interrogation room. And they have a scene. And this is the scene where I figured out they were husband and wife. She says, ever since you've been blind, why the hell are you so happy all the time? You never asked for my help. You shut me out. I don't know what I'm supposed to do anymore. I don't know who you are anymore. And why do you have to be happy about it? And he takes off his glasses and he says, do you think I wanted this to happen? And I don't know what they were going for, what they told him to do, but he has a glossy eye look that looks like he's drunk or high or both. I don't know what was going on in that scene, but it was just so distracting. And, you know, it reminded me of another episode of the Golden Girls. I know, give me an opportunity and I'll just talk about the Golden Girls, where Polly Holiday guest starred as Lily, Rose's blind sister. 
During the entirety of the episode, they did something with Polly's eyes where they had them shut and it looked like she was actually blind. She, of course, is not blind in real life. It took me years to make the connection that she was Mrs. Deagle in Gremlins 1984, and she was also Flo on Alice. You know, kiss my grits. Phenomenal actress. So they could have done something to make him look blind, because, and this is supposed to be like a very emotional scene. This is supposed to be like a realization scene. Oh, well, I'm trying to be happy for you. You know, I'm trying to not be a burden to you, so I'm trying to do everything that I can on my own so that I don't make you angry at me or something like that. But instead, it comes across as annoyed, and then he goes, I'm sorry, I'll let you help me more. And when she hugs him, the look on his face is so weird. I can't even describe it. But anyway, Jessica then goes back to the studio when Lieutenant Faraday unseals the crime scene. And she finds Carl has decided to cancel the audiobooks and that Randy's wife is going to be taking over the studio with Carl. Um, and she figures out that before talking to Stoney's niece and realizing it wasn't her nail polish, she realizes that it is actually Randy's wife's nail polish. She says she left before he was murdered and she's wearing a nice black dress and seems to be going on with life as usual. Then it turns out that Carl, the owner of the studio, uh, is dating Stoney's niece and promised her a recording contract in exchange for dating him or something like that. This subplot goes absolutely nowhere and has nothing to do with the overall story. Poor Charlie Daniels gets virtually nothing to do. And this is Constance Towers' last scene. Eventually, the autobook is abruptly dropped, and Jessica gets the tape. And just as they're listening to it, Lieutenant Fairday um, calls, because he eventually has to let uh, Greg go because there's no evidence to support his theory and as Jessica's listening to her voice um, on the tape she has a realization and a light, bulb, a light bulb goes off behind her if you ever wondered what that gift was from it's this episode sad that it has to be from this episode but it is so and I had a little trouble with this watch this episode twice and I still don't get it the killer turns out to be Al. Al Parker. Uh, apparently Al Parker was involved with the bootlegging and he had been planning to kill Randy for weeks. He had been shutting off the lights and had a master switch in the recording studio with Stoney and he managed to shut the lights off and had an infrared bicycle helmet so he could see in the dark. So he managed to slip out of the office go to Randy's office, somehow go, there were two doors to Randy's office, and he was able to come in the one behind him and kill him, stab him from behind. But lucky for him, 
Randy didn't die instantly. He was able to pick up the phone and make a call. But but uh, Al had recorded a previous conversation between him and Randy to make it look as if he was on the phone with him the entire time. But what was what was genius is Randy didn't die from the wound right away. Oh yeah, during the flashback the whole entire time, George Strait saw the whole thing. <laughs> he saw the whole thing. Smiling right there during the entire scene in that poster that they put randomly on the wall for reasons I don't know. But um, he killed him in the back but was able to talk to him on the phone while he was dying because he dies en route to the hospital. He doesn't die instantly. And he denies the whole thing even though Jessica lays out the whole entire crime even knowing details she couldn't possibly have known because I don't know how long she's supposed to been at the studio. The fact that he had attempted several, like several practice runs to turn the lights off and that he already had taken the steak knife from Greg's home because he intended to, to frame him all along once he killed Randy. But here's the thing, guys. No motivation is given as to why he killed him. I mean, and Randy does not come across as someone who anyone would want to kill. Like, we're off to kill the wizard. Um, where the boss is absolutely horrible. He doesn't come across like that. He comes across as someone generally wanting Stoney to succeed and doesn't want his music to be sold without his authorization. And... He seems to care about his wife, and he doesn't come across as this. And he only has that one scene with Al, and Al does not come across to hit, to me as this person who's like hated him enough to kill him. And even when he's led out of the room, he's like, "You will be hearing from my lawyer." And all's well that ends well. And then Lieutenant Faraday takes Jessica to the airport and says, "I will never again doubt women's intuition." but agrees that he's the one who solved the crime. What? I did not like this episode at all, you guys. Will Arlington was not believable as a blind guy. Of all the people they could have cast, I don't understand why they casted him in this role. I understand that they had a tendency to repeat guest stars. I get that. But honestly, this was a terrible performance. I mean, it was not believable at all. I mean, you can't have him be a murderer in one episode, then be a blind guy being accused of murder, and then cast him in The Law and Harry McGraw and have him play a murderer on that show, too. And then literally a year after this, he would be in Die Hard, where he would expose Bruce Willis's character, John McCain, and almost get him and his wife killed, even going as far as to interviewing um, John McCain's kids and telling them their parents are going to die, and to say what their final thoughts were on live TV. Yeah, spoilers if you haven't seen that movie. Sorry. It's good, and trust me, it is a Christmas movie. Anyway, like, and then, you know, you have a talented actress like Constance Towers, and you give her virtually nothing to do. And then, why did G.W. Bailey agree to be in this episode? I mean, his dialogue was absolutely terrible. I was hoping that somebody would slap him 
And then you have Charlie Daniels, a freaking award-winning country music star, doing virtually nothing. I mean, it's it's just, oh, it was terrible. I didn't like it. I'm sorry I didn't. I tried to like it, but I just couldn't. It was like the worst way to end season three. And season three has been like up and down with good episodes and then bad episodes, which I'll be doing my review soon. But let's go over the guest stars and see if this is William's last episode. Because they couldn't possibly bring him back after that, right? And I'm sorry, dude. You are a good actor. Okay? Not that you'd be listening to this, but I just want... You are a good actor, and I do like you. But this was not a good role for you. Just saying. He is still with us. He is known for Die Hard, 1988, Ghostbusters, 1994, Real Genius, 1995, and The Day of the Locusts, 1975. Last known credit in 2018, Bad Company. Jersey Shore Shark Attack. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a hilarious movie. He was in the Ghostbusters video game in 2009. Original Law and Order in two episodes. The Practice. Uh, let's see. Oh boy. He will appear in another episode of Murder She Wrote in season eight as a prosecutor. Oh boy, that's going to be interesting. But I just want to see, oh, apparently he was in also in Die Hard 2, but like I haven't seen that one in a long time, so I must have forgot he was in that one. But I want to see how long he has been acting. Oh, since 1972. Okay. So I'll have to remember he's going to be in another episode. I wonder if this is G.W. Bailey's only episode. I would think so. I wouldn't want to come back if they were going to give me dialogue like that. He's still with us. He is known for Police Academy, 1994, Short Circuit, 1996, Mannequin, 1997. Oh my god, I love Mannequin. Yeah, he was in that. He played basically the same character he played in Police Academy. And Police Academy 5, 1988. So see, they were like up to 4 and 5 at this point. So why would he agree to be in this movie? Last known credit, Stargirl. He was in 102 different projects. Home on the Range. I loved Home on the Range in 2004. That's one of my favorite Disney movies. Oh, he will appear in another episode of Murder, She Wrote in season 12. Boy, it'll take a while before we get there. But I'll have to remember that one. I probably won't. Carl, the owner of the station, was played by Michael Call Call-Len. Call A-N. Oh, he died this year at the age of 86 on, on October 10th. Around the same time that Angela Lansbury died. I didn't know this. Sorry, guys. Uh, may he rest in peace. He is known for Cat Bayou. 
1965, The Magnificent Seven Ride, 1972, Leprechaun 3, 1995, and The Cat and the Canary, 1978. He was in 90 different things. Last known credit, The Still Life in 2006. Never heard of it. Oh, and he will be in three more episodes of Murder, She Wrote. He will be in season five, six, and eleven. Wow. May he rest in peace. I did not know that he died. I didn't hear that. Michael Cole played Earl, who was helping Jessica record. He's still with us. He is known for It, 1990. The miniseries that was the best version of Stephen King's book, in my opinion. Mr. Brooks, 2007, The Last Child, 1971. It's a TV movie and police story in two episodes. Last known credit, Father's Day, 2010. It was a short. He was on ER in 2006. Mystery Woman in two episodes, but I thought that was like a series of TV movies. Seventh Heaven... Oh yeah, I forgot. He was in 39 Projects. And he will be in another episode of Murder, She Wrote in Season 6. So we got some repeat guest stars coming up soon. Although we're so not to Season 6 yet. Let's see if Charlie Daniels appeared in another episode. Uh, he died in 2020 at the age of 83. Oh yeah, that's right. I almost forgot about that. He's known for being on the soundtrack for Coyote Ugly. The Devil Went Down to Georgia. He's looking for a soul to kill. The Heartbreak Kid, same song. The Water Boy, same song. And Sweet Home Alabama. What this world needs now is a few beers. Yep, I remember, I remember, uh, I should have realized that he sung that song. I'm sorry, guys. Sometimes things come to me, but they don't. Um, he was only in 10 projects as an actor. Last was something called Truck Fest. Um, he was in, he did two episodes of King of the Hill, a TV show called 18 Wheels of Justice, Tom Sawyer movie. This was his only episode of Murder, She Wrote. And he was in a TV movie in 1986 called Lone Star Kid. So he didn't have much of an acting career. But they should have given him at least something to do in this episode. They didn't give him anything to do. Joanna Lee played his niece. Uh, she's not... Uh, she's known for Outer World, eight episodes. It's a TV show. Making the Grade, 1984. Another World, 1983. And Sam's Son, Sam's Son, S-O-N, 1984. Oh, she will appear, she was in 25 projects. She will appear in another episode of Murder, She Wrote in season seven. Her credit app before that was in Shattered Innocence in 1988, a TV movie. Alrighty then. 
We got a lot of repeat guest stars here. All right, Frederick, Lee, or Frederick, L, E, H, and E played our murderer. Still don't know why, um, but he looked familiar to me. So maybe he's been in an episode of Murder, She Wrote before, or I've seen him in something. He's still with us. He's known for Men in Black, 1997. That might be it, because uh, I just recently saw that. It could have been That's Where I Saw Him. The Dark Knight Rises, 2012. Shy Guys, 2018. And Ordinary People, 1980. He's been in 156 different projects. He has one upcoming. And his last known, known credit uh, is this year in Partner Track in five episodes for that Westworld. Uh, I wonder if this is the only episode of Murder, She Wrote. But it could be Men in Black that I've seen him from. Because I just recently watched like all three of those movies and they were funny. I'd never seen him before. Oh, The Blacklist. He was in The Greatest Showman. Criminal Minds. It could be that as well. Chicago Fire. Law and Order's Special Victims Unit. American Horror Story. CSI. Could be that. Uh, Malcolm in the Middle. Supernova. Without a Trace, JAG, NCIS, Cold Case. That's well, possible. I, I did watch some of that. That was a good show. Any Day Now. The X-Files. The Wonderful World of Disney. ER. NYPD Blue. Oh, and he will appear... In another episode of Murder, She Wrote, in season 12. Wow, we got a lot of repeat guest stars here, guys. I didn't know. Uh, Wendy Phillips played Nancy, the wife of Greg. She's still with us. She is known for Airplane 2, the sequel, 1982. Midnight Run, 1988. Bugsy, 1991, and The Wizard, 1989. 88 Projects, Last Credit, Seal Team, 2018, and Criminal Minds Beyond Borders. Let's see if this is the only episode of Murder, She Wrote. Something tells me it is. Hold on, internet. Okay. Ghost Whisperer, I love that show. Sad to watch sometimes. Charmed. Huh. What episode? Season 4. Charmed. Oh, she played the nun. Okay. Family Law. Strong Medicine. Beach Boys. Miniseries. Touched by an Angel. In five episodes. After School Special. Picket Fences. That was a good show. Weird, but good. Falcon Crest. Yep, this is the only episode of Murder, She Wrote. The Magical World of Disney. The New Leave It to Beaver. St. Elsewhere. 
Taxi. Ooh. Trapper Don MD, BJ and the Bear, and Death Be Not Proud was her first movie in 1975. Okay. She's the only guest star so far that doesn't repeat. It doesn't come back. Constance Towers played Margaret Whitworth, like I said. And she did not get much to do in this episode. It's a shame. She's such a good actress. She's still with us. Thank goodness. She's known for General Hospital, where she is still on there to this day, where she is playing Helena Cassidyne, which was a character originally played by Elizabeth Taylor. And she took it over. And she's really good. I've seen her in a couple episodes. The Horse Soldiers, 1959, A Perfect Murder, 1998, and Shock, Shock Corridor, 1963. Latest credit other than General Hospital is 911 Lone Star this year. She was on Cold Case, the, four, the original 400, which I love the original 400, did not like the reboot. Sunset Beach, Caroline in the City, I love that, Silk Stockings, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Baywatch, Designing Women, oh, she was on Designing Women, oh, where she, oh, yeah, that was a funny episode of The Mistress, oh my god, hilarious, MacGyver, oh, this is the only episode of Murder, She Wrote. And she was in Capital, the, a soap opera, in over a thousand episodes, from 82 to 87. So she must have fit this in before she got on General Hospital. Hawaii Five O, Perry Mason, Love is a Many Splendid Thing, soap opera. And she's been acting since 1952 in Tales of Tomorrow, another soap opera. Like I said, fantastic actress. Did not get much to do in this episode. Really, really sad. Patrick Wayne played our murder victim, Randy. He's still with us, too. He is known for The Searchers, 1956, Big Jake, 1971, Mick Link. Mc, I, I don't know. In Young Guns, 1988, McLincoln or Link Lock, 1963. Sorry. He was in 76 different projects. Last known credit, Deep Cover, 1997. Oh, he was on All My Children in six episodes in 1990 as Captain Nails Lindstrom. I have no idea. Alfred Hitchcock presents. Then the original MacGyver. This is his only episode of Murder, She Wrote. He was really good looking. I thought he would be in more stuff. The Love Boat. Matt Houston. The Lottery. Fantasy Island. Charlie's Angels. Shirley. TV show. I don't know. The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams. The People That Time Forgot. Policewoman. Marcus Willoughby, MD. Beyond Atlantis. Uh, Love American Style, The Green Berets, 
voyage to the bottom of the sea. And he was uncredited. Like, it says that he was in something in 1950, but he was uncredited. 1952, uncredited. Uncredited in 1953. And his first known credit is in 1955 in The Long Gray Line. So he was a child actor first. Interesting. All right. That is... The end of our guest stars. Oh my goodness, guys. We've done it. I have finished season three. Before the end of the year. I can't believe it. Thank you all so much for your support and listening to the podcast. It has been a hard year with my father being gone. And I know that there are a lot of people out there who have lost loved ones during the holidays and are missing them. And they are watching us. They are here in spirit. And I miss my father so much. But this podcast has helped me a lot. To. to With my grief process. Because when I told my father about this podcast. He was very proud of me. And happy that I had it. And I was kind of surprised. My father knew what a podcast was. But he was, he was happy. That I had this podcast. And I can't believe it. I finished season three. I never thought I'd get this far. But thank you so much for listening and 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 being here. It means so much to me. Again, warmest holiday wishes. Happy holidays. Enjoy the time that you have with, with anyone that you spend it with. Whether it be friends, family, whatever. Um... Have a good day, night, depending on when you listen to this. And happy crime solving. I pray for peace every night before my head hits the pillow. Happy crime solving. And I'll see you in the next one.